Our latest guest on soundtracking is something of a demigod when it comes to the realms of music and film. Anton Corbin is a Dutch photographer, music video director and filmmaker who has snapped anyone who's anyone in the music industry, including Bob Dylan, Björk, Bruce Springsteen and Miles Davies. Indeed, it was he who took those iconic pictures of Joy Division in the subway tunnel, beginning a relationship which ultimately led to him bringing us the Ian Curtis biopic, Control. Anton has also had a long-standing relationship with U2 and Depeche Mode, and it's Depeche Mode's final concert of their Global Spirit Tour that is the subject of his latest project, the documentary Spirits in the Forest, which places a specific focus on six of the band's fans. Depeche Mode Spirits in the Forest is in cinemas for one night only worldwide on the 21st of November. To find your closest screening, head to spiritsintheforest.com and it is well worth checking out. More on that shortly. First, a word from our friends Jeff and Andy, two ordinary fellas who were thoroughly fed up with overpriced razors. So they decided to do something about it and founded Harry's. Knowing there was only one way to reduce prices and maintain quality, Jeff and Andy bought their own factory. By taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price, with their top-notch quality blades almost half the price of the leading five-blade brands. And we at Soundtracking have an offer for you from the lads, who are giving you a trial set for just £3.95, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover. To take advantage and get your trial set delivered to you, go to harrys.com forward slash soundtrack right now. That's harrys.com forward slash soundtrack for your £3.95 trial set. I should say Harry's products are very stylishly packaged too, which means they make a great present. I know, folks, it's getting close to that time already. And so to Anton and his new film, Spirits in the Forest. Given that we're talking Depeche Mode... Can we start with one of my favourites? I Feel You from Songs of Faith and Devotion. Welcome to Soundtracking. It's lovely, it's lovely to see you again. It's been a while since we, we last spoke about your relationship with music. Yeah, either. thank you. Yeah. And so it continues though. Music at the at the heart really of what you do, a lot of what you do anyway. Yeah, it, music is where it started for me and I, I realised that it's still um, quite an important element in my emotional world and uh, also practical world. Yeah. Only last week did I have the luxury of spending some time with Sam Riley. Oh, great. Yeah, so we'll talk about that in a second. But first, let's talk to Pesh Mode and Spirits in the Forest. Um, This is such a different uh, approach to what people might think is a live music 
documentary of a film. It's a very wonderful and personal approach to fans' journeys with bands. Where did the idea start for for this particular film? Um, Well, the idea started because I was probably harassing the band (laughs) in order to make a live film because I designed the stages always. So I like there to be a document of it, you know, just for my own personal (laughs) sake. And I don't think they felt there was a need for a real live film again. So we tried to find a different angle. And I think in talks with um, Jonathan and the band, we realized that the appeal still is, with Depeche Mode, for a lot of fans, is is so diverse. It would be interesting to look at these, uh, the appeal of Depeche Mode. Because it's it's an incredible phenomenon. Because they're the biggest gold band in the world, in a way, and they're massive. Um, so it's 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 a different audience than you two, for instance. So you know who are these people? And Pesh had a Facebook page uh, on the last tour that they gave every day to somebody else. And in order to get that Facebook page and be in charge of it for a day, you had to write in why yeah. you felt you were the person. So <clears throat> they had thousands of people writing in with their stories. What made them? connect to the past and out of these people out of these thousands we selected six people and that's that's how this came about when i was eight i heard this song i don't know i just got stuck with their music that's why they have a fan like 22 year old girl like me we all had this idea of how our lives were supposed to be when we grew up I wasn't allowed to choose. I was just given the information, the music, the books that was approved by the park. Kids went to live to Miami about two years ago. It's been the hardest thing that's ever happened to me. It's hard to be 14 and 17, and your family is breaking up in the way that it is. I have had a big car crush, and when I woke up, I didn't remember anything of my former life, except one thing which is Depeche Mode. What do you think you were looking for? What made these six people stand out for you? Like I said, we wanted something diverse. So it was diverse in terms of um, uh, geographical location where these people were and and their connection. So sometimes it was uh, getting over cancer uh, or having an accident or it was almost like a, a very, very alien experience to have pop music if you come from Mongolia. And sometimes it's for people to feel that, um, you know, coming out of the closet, the mode music helps them. And so there was a lot of different reasons for people to connect to the yeah. It's amazing because it reinforces that idea that once the music's out there, it doesn't really belong to the band anymore. It belongs to the fans and the fans translate it or take from it what it means to them personally. And that's the wonderful thing through this film is it really reinforces that idea that it's been friend it's been therapy it's been you yeah know, it's been so many things to so many people yeah it, it's um really mind-boggling and and um uh there is also a, a dna in the whole depeche mode history of course of a film um that was 101 30 years ago now 30 is it? yeah 30 years ago it was 88 i think Pennebaker made a film of uh, American fans traveling in a bus to see the Pesh Mode kick yeah. in, uh, in Pasadena. And it was at the beginning of their massive rise to stardom when that kick was the biggest they've ever done. And you see you know, Davis being totally um, overwhelmed by it. Yeah. But now oh. it's the norm, you know, yeah. and he owns that stage. Oh and it's just, just a different performer than 30 years ago. So it's really interesting to see that, uh, that change as well. We'd like to announce special final concert to our world tour 
will be playing a concert for the masses here at the Rose Bowl Pasadena. This will be a very big occasion for us, not only being the largest, but also the most prestigious concert we've ever played. document that you know we wanted to put it on onto film and make a record and everything and this is like it's a high point in our career now we we, we, we get bigger and bigger with every album you know and the film is called 101 yeah. why well it was in fact the 101st concert of the tour. Oh, really? We were hoping it to be 100, but uh, oh, no, <laughs> somewhere think, another one got added. I think uh, 101 actually has a bit yeah, more ring to it. Yeah. Is it interesting for you to see that, to watch that change as well? Because you've worked with them for so long. Yeah. And to see the, you know. No, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, in, in my own little way, I'm so proud of them. You know, they, you know, went through all, all the ups and also the lows and, yeah. and, and are still making music, still talking to each other. One thing I loved as well is that, so in the film, Dave wears, I mean, no one wears a waistcoat yeah. quite like he does. It's brilliant. How much he owns no, that Nobody thing. men of that age can wear a waistcoat <laughs> yeah. like he does. True. But it's like, so he's, one minute it's red at the back, then it's blue, and then it's black. So is that, uh, no? Uh, yeah, black as well, but that's because he changes as well. Okay, because yeah. I was like, even in the middle of a song from one minute, yeah. he's red to blue, and I'm like, that's incredible. You know, Edith, that's magic. I know. It's your magic. <laughs> well... We shot one night, the whole gig, and, and one other night I shot bits and pieces. So that's where that comes from. Seamless. It's amazing how you've but it's, done it's, that. But it's, it's, it's nice that somebody, some people will notice and some won't notice. <laughs> good that I noticed her by the way. But those songs as well, and what I also love is the, the way that their music is being you know, passed down. Generations mm. to generations, yeah. you see that because it's a, a young audience. Yeah, it's a couple, you know, a yeah. couple of the, the the fans that you focus on as well. You see that, and the daughter in particular, and how physical oh, yes, she yes, reacts yes. to the music live is just—it's wonderful to see. And those songs are, are, you know, they are twice the age of those kids are. Yeah, and they still react to it in that way. They get so much out of it. Yeah, and what makes them really special, I think, is that they make new arrangements for the old songs. Mm. So. Every tour, these songs will sound slightly different. And yeah. I find it incredibly interesting. Do the band appreciate the connection they have? You know, in terms of, I'm assuming they've seen the film and how involved were they throughout the process in terms of... Oh, not. Of, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Show me it when it's that's finished. How we, that's how we like it. <laughs> no, they, obviously they see the result and they have to give approval for it. But they like the idea and, um, you know, they let us get on with it. Yeah. Because that in particular, that the, the you know not to kind of to rate any of the stories, but that French lady's story about losing yeah, her Karine, memory, yeah, yeah, and how you know hearing the radio and a Depeche Motown being the only thing from her previous twenty five years that yeah. connected. With yeah, her she couldn't read or write anymore. She didn't recognize her parents. Nothing. And Depeche Mode, the song of Depeche Mode, came on the radio, and that's what. Oh, I remember that. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. You, know, you can imagine how. 
deep that must have been in her. Yeah. You know, how it must have affected her the first time around already. Yeah. yeah. Last time I saw Depeche live was at um, Rock Verkta. Oh, really? Yeah, a couple of years ago. They've got a big old set list. You know, there's a lot of material there. When you're constructing this musically in terms of what you're the songs you're going to feature, is that a hard decision or how did you navigate that? We started with making a whole live film, yeah. which will be released next year as well. And then, then we chipped away from it and putting the fans in, the fan stories in, and then see what's related to what they were talking about. Yeah. And that's basically how we try to select the songs. Yeah. Have you got a favorite Depeche Mode song? Oh, God, there's so many that I like, but I've always liked Walking My Shoes. I would say about the things that put me through not like enjoy the silence <laughs> you know because i did videos for all these things too so there's a lot of memories it's a mixed bag of you know memories well can you remember about those specific videos and about how that relationship was at the time and what well it was a little fragile in the beginning you know yeah. um, and my ideas were not always liked initially enjoy the silence i had to come twice to them to say well this is the only idea i have and then i'm like oh yeah bloody hell just make it then you know <laughs> I mean, we're talking about really cheap videos, Super 8. Yeah. And then it worked amazing. Words like violence break the silence Come crashing in into my little world Painful to me, pierce right through me Don't you understand, oh my little girl I had to prove myself every, every time, but at the same time, because the budgets were so low, and I, I think at the record company, nobody really minded what we did, you know. Yeah. So they left us famous to our own device, which is unheard of, I think, you know. And yeah. that wasn't later in the in the 90s and, and in this century, you know, everybody had an opinion, and, and it's very different, but in, in the 80s, early 90s, it was great. Back then, when you were making these videos, where did the inspiration for you come from for the visuals? Was it from the lyrics? Was it from how the song made I'm you feel? I'm not a lyrics man, you know, myself. Uh, possibly because I didn't speak English very well when I came here. Yeah. I always listened to the, the vibe of a song and the, and, and the sounds, the instruments on it. Yeah. And that's where I base a lot of ideas on. What's, what that sound sparks off, that's what I go with. 
And sometimes I get ideas that are totally opposite of what they're singing about. I remember a German friend of mine, um, and I made this idea hole with, an, uh, with a polar bear and, and stuff, and it was a fun, a, a person in a polar bear uniform. It was fun. And then he came with these lyrics that were very, very meaningful, but we still went with it. And it worked, you know. Amazing. It was his biggest hit ever. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Momentan ist gut, nichts ist wirklich wichtig, nach der Ebbe kommt die Flut. Am Strand des Lebens, ohne Grund, ohne Verstand, ist nichts vergebens. Ich baue die Träume auf den Sand und es ist, es ist okay, alles auf dem Weg. Es ist Sonnenzeit, unbeschwert und frei. It's lovely as well to kind of see, like I love that moment in the film where the guy talks about recreating your video. Oh yeah, Christian, yeah. <laughs> and his biggest concern was where he was going to get the... The cloak and oh, yeah, the yeah. and the crown. It's the worst. It's the worst compliment together. <laughs> is it? Oh. Someone trying to redo one of your videos? Oh, it's just <laughs> awful. I think, no, I, please don't tell me I inspired this. <laughs> um, when are you yeah. going to make another feature film? Yeah, unfortunately, the, the one I was working on fell through uh, after four years of work. You know, I find I find something else. I, I I really like to make another feature film. You know, this this of course isn't a feature film, but it, it's lovely to work in film anyway. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I might be uh, doing a documentary next year, and uh, there's also still a film I did with you too, which, which will come out next year, yeah. connected to the Joshua Tree. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. You know. Amazing. Yeah. It was lovely to chat to Sam about control. Yeah, tell me. It How- was really lovely. Um, and his face, you know, as soon as we started talking about it, you could see his face kind of light up because it was such a moment for him. Yeah, not for me too, for us both. You know, Sam really gave everything for that film and I'm so grateful for that. I mean, he was the perfect choice and yeah. he, he he also made him to be the perfect choice because he, he really worked very hard there, you know. He gave everything. Who's the writer? Who do you think? I am a believer in joy division. Hallelujah. Now remember, we are live, so no swearing or they will cut you off. What about Big Dog's cock? Can you say that? We missed you. Got it in, it's good. When I'm up there, singing. Genius, actually. They don't understand how much I give. How it affects me. I never meant for it to grow like this. Get out! I've no control anymore. I love you. What does that mean?
looking at life in a strange new room. Is this the start of it all? He talked about how, you know, initially they were going to be lip syncing and then they, they kind of got together as a band and practiced and were like almost kind of auditioned for yeah, you. Yeah, that made the film so much better. Um, great for all the guys that they that, that they did that. It showed you also how simple, in a way, the Joy Division songs were for actors to be able to play these things live and, and they sound fantastic. But it was a dedication from the actors. Yeah. Sam got from doing that got him to Ian as well from you know would you agree with that in terms yeah of- yeah possibly yeah I remember that when I uh, saw Sam the first time I think it reminded me straight away of Ian because it was winter it was November the same month that I met Ian for the first time and similar coat and smoking a cigarette outside but shaking from cold with your hands you know with the cigarette in it and same how I saw Ian and I'm like wow that must be a sign. Yeah, it was great. And it's it was wonderful to be reminded of that film and to watch it again. It's, yeah, it's yeah. brilliant. That's what's nice about coming to chat to you and why I'm excited to hear that you you, know, you want to make another film because you've made some cracking films. And I think last time we spoke quite in depth about Most Wanted Man. Oh, yeah. Which was, you know, the, the John Le Carre story that you, was adapted. Yeah, that Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, yeah. And, and just... Can we go back and talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind? Yeah, no, my film for me is really an adventure. You know, I know very little about film, but I, I, I'm so eager to find out what's possible for me to make. And that's where I come from. Um, but what I love from talking to Sam and then from reminding myself about a, a Most Wanted Man was that you really encourage that collaboration with, with your team, you know, be that with Sam and the rest of the guys, you know, and then, but then with Philip and, and, and Andrew in terms of the... The screenplay, I think I read it, correct me if I'm wrong, that, that, that they worked kind of together so that Philip could really round that character and find him. Yeah, well, when, when we started filming the script, it, was, it wasn't finished yet, really, yeah. in terms of every day it could be changed. And, and Philip, you know, was the best actor I ever worked with. I think he, he became that person so much, so much. And so it became more how he felt a person should be. Um, and it was an incredible process to see that, you know. And yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an incredible learning curve, these filmmaking things. And I, yeah. I absolutely love it. You know. <laughs> yeah. What do you love about it? Well, the unknown. You, you, you dedicate yourself for a year to something, and then you work with these actors. And I, I, I'm so in awe of them inhabiting the characters. You have an idea where you want it to go to, so you have to try to get these people to make that happen. 
but it's just magic, you know. I mean, photography is beautiful in the simplicity, and you see somebody for 10 minutes and yeah. you take a picture, and th- that picture might have a power for 50 years or whatever. Yeah. That's, that's amazing about photography. That's an amazing thing to think about. And it's well. very hard to do it with a film. People find it much easier to remember a good picture than a good film. But um, for me as a maker, I'm much more invested in making films because you give such a long period of, of your life to making a film. That's, that's different than that one intuitive moment on a, on a still camera. Yeah. But uh, so I, I, yeah, I like to do both. How how would you describe the way that you work with your composer on a feature film? Because you've worked um, with Herbert quite a, a lot. Yeah, Herbert Grunemeyer. And, and you, yeah. that relationship goes way back as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. I have to say, for the American, I initially wanted to work with um, Ennio Morricone. Well, you featured one of his tracks in the film. I did on the, on the screen. Yeah. yeah. So I had, a, I had a meeting with Ennio uh, Morricone. I went to his flat in Rome, and I, I said, well, you know, the, the, the film The American is a bit like a Western, you know, the way I have it structured. And I love to sound like, but he was not interested in coming to the set. He wasn't interested in making new music. He, he had some old songs, and he played me one or two of them, and he felt his son could take over. But I, I really wanted new stuff from him, yeah. you know, so I didn't feel there was a commitment proper. So I, I dropped that idea, but it was great to, to see that uh, Tarantino then caught him later. Yeah. <laughs> and he got an Oscar for him. Yeah. I, yeah, but I think that, strangely enough, that's how that relationship started, was that he basically gave Quentin some stuff that he had lying around. And then after a month, I think he then got back in touch with Quentin and actually, he, I think he'd sat with a script or something for a while. Uh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he went, actually, I'm going to write you some new stuff. But I think Quentin just thought that he was going to get some kind of stuff that was lying around in drives. But yeah, he came... He came round to the idea.
doesn't sound like an easy thing to persuade him to do, though. He's not. No, no. And he doesn't speak English, really. How's your Italian? (laughs) (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) So then how did you, what what was the decision then from from Herbert being the right person to work with on that? Well, Herbert... um, Herbert was always the one who encouraged me to make films. He always oh. said, you have to make films, Anton. And I said, well, okay, if I make my first film, you have to be in it. So he was the doctor in the control, yeah. but he kept postponing it. So the very last scene we ever shot on the last day was Herbert's scene. <laughs> um, then when I did The American, I wanted to get, stay involved with him. And I always loved it that he played piano yeah. when I got to his home. You know, So I said, well, can we do something piano-based yeah. for the film? He did, and the most haunted man. He did the soundtrack as well, and he was in the film. Yeah, because he, he he's a great actor. Yeah, he does both. Does both? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the? How would you describe the relationship that you have with how you communicate about the music and what your wants are for your films? Uh, you I'm not sure to... I'm a great communicator in that sense, <laughs> but but Herbert understands probably better than I do. You know, because um, he's incredibly musical and he's knowledgeable about film because he was an actor. So he, he combines these two, and then we find a way to do it. I mean, I think I was, I directed New, or- New Order much more on the sound for Control than yeah. I ever did Herbert for the other films. I'm so glad I get the time to chat to you. Um, and it's so wonderful to see this, but hear your news. It's great. Great. Hurry up. Yeah, ne- next time <laughs> Next time we should talk about Depeche Mode. Yeah, more. <laughs> I see the manager there. <laughs> From the soundtrack to control, that's Exit by the New Order Boys, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Anton Corbin. 
My huge thanks to Anton for taking the time to talk to us. He really is one of the loveliest men you could ever wish to meet. Depeche Mode Spirits in the Forest is in cinemas for one night only worldwide on the 21st of November. So you really should try and see it. To find your closest screening, head to spiritsintheforest.com. Now, we'll put a Spotify playlist up for this show via edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes, including that conversation with the lovely Sam Riley we mentioned earlier. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And please do keep spreading the word if you like what you hear. Next up, we have the fabulously funny and brilliant Paul Fig. And yes, we do talk bridesmaids. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm-hmm.